Welcome to the LarryInFishers.com podcast. I'm Larry Lannon. This podcast is brought to you by LarryInFishers.com. My news blog is aimed at local news in and around the Fishers, Indiana area. So check out my web blog, LarryInFishers.com. Also, follow me on Twitter at Larry in Fishers. John Weingart won his first election to the Fishers Town Council in 2011, first taking office in 2012. He has served on either the Fishers Town Council or City Council since then. John is running for another four-year term on the City Council in the South Central District. I spoke with John Weingart during the morning of Monday, September 30th. I'm with John Weingart here at his tax office. He is a tax accountant by uh, trade. That's how he makes his living. But he is also uh, seeking another uh, uh, term on the Fisher City Council. He's the incumbent Republican candidate in the South Central District. John, welcome. Good to have you again. Well, good to have you here at PSW, Larry, always a pleasure. PSW being the name of the uh, accounting firm, which yes. your name is on that partnership, by the yes, way. Yes, it is. I'm the W. <laughs> You're the W. <laughs> so it's uh, it's it's re-election time again, so it's time go. to uh, talk about that. We have a general election coming up here in November. And, um, you know, city council members are not always high profile like mayors and others. So, uh, again, it's been four years since you've run an election campaign. Just uh, remind people who John Weingart is. Well, certainly. I am a, a CPA and also a business owner here in Fishers. Uh, I'm married to my wife, Tina. We've been married 34 years, three grown children, uh, two married. I've got three granddaughters. Um, lived in Fisher since 1992, moved into Sunblast back in 1992, and then moved into what is known now as the Windermere subdivision in 1996. So uh, uh, when I came on the council in 2012, it was certainly a, a different time as a town, um, and there's been a, a lot of changes that have occurred. We've become a city. Um, we've uh, developed a vibrant downtown. We've, un- we've developed a vibrant entrepreneurial community for, uh, for budding entrepreneurs and also some, some great amenities for our citizens. Now, you have, uh, as you mentioned earlier, you've served on the town council. By the way, you, you beat me by one year coming to Fishers. I, I moved here in 91. 91, so we, yes. We're pretty close. I, I know. That. I think my son and your daughters graduated high school together. Yes, the, they, they did know each yes, other. Yes, yeah. at uh, Fishers High School. And uh-huh. You want to talk about your son because he's recently joined the firm? Yes. Well, he's going to be joining our firm here in December, okay. but it's... Uh, um, we, uh, and I, I really kind of told him, I said, you need to kind of find your own way and see what you like. And uh, we started talking a little bit about a year ago, and uh, he met with my partners. And so he'll be joining our firm here in, in December and certainly hoping uh, that's the next generation that's going to be hopefully leading our firm as, as I uh, – you know, transition out at some point down the road. I can't do tax returns forever, Larry. Is that so? <laughs> I know. I know. It's hard to believe, but it's true. At some point, uh, you know, I need to uh, start um, giving opportunities for my younger team because he's one of a number of young team members in my firm. We're very unique in that we're a small firm, yet we have a bench of really young team members that are very uh, uh, vibrant individuals that have aspirations for potential ownership down the road. So it puts us in a real unique standpoint from a, um, a marketing perspective and positioning perspective that we've got, you know, we've got, we've got a real good bench now. 
Well, I tried to retire from tax in 2011, <laughs> and guess what happened? I still end up teaching tax uh, for Indiana University a little bit as a, on a contract yeah. basis. But I, think, that, I think my uh, partner, Gino, is going to be heading to you when you're Oh, John, Gino? Well, he'll, Gino, yeah, he'll be there. So he'll complain about everything I, I said, I'm sure, but that's all right. I, we're on, uh, we'll get away from that yes. and, and ask the question I'm going to ask, which uh-huh. is uh, just explain to the audience why you decided to seek another four-year term on the city, on the uh, city council. Well, certainly for me, it's, it's about giving back to our community um, and also serving our constituents um, uh, in, a, in, a, in a, a very well manner. And from that standpoint, looking at, you know, the, the, the things I see in, in, in our future is just making sure that we continue to have the, the right development in our community, but also the right infrastructure. I think the one thing I see uh, when I see my, my constituents out in public, whether it's out at a restaurant or an HOA meeting, it's two things that come up to me, or two or three things. The first one is roads. Second one is public safety. And the third one is growth and what's going to happen next. Those are three things I hear a lot about. Well, I was going to ask you about what you think the greatest achievements have been made since you've joined City or Town Council, you've already mentioned some of them. Are mm-hmm. there any others you want to mention? Um, you know, I, I, I'm proud of what we've done for a downtown. We've created a vibrant space for people to enjoy. Um, you know, I I drive around a lot. I have a, a nice a Mustang. I, I, I cruise around town, in, and me and my wife will go out and we'll drive around and, and see what's going on in downtown. And it, it's really exciting to see what it was when I came on the council in 2012 and what it is today and what we've been able to do. So it's been really very satisfying for me. Um, so, so that's, that's one of my real proudest accomplishments, but the other proud accomplishment I look at as, you know, as I geek out on as a CPA is we're the only city in the state that has a triple A bond rating. We have one of the lowest municipal tax rates in the state. I think, I think Greenwood's the only community that's even near us as far as a tax rate. Um, we have $16 million in reserves in our general fund, which is again, much better than any of our peers here in Hamilton County. Uh, and, I've, and I'm very proud of some of the awards that people have recognized us as a place that you want to live and work and play. Um, Money Magazine just rated us number three. We're the fifth safest city in the entire state. Um, I saw the the, you know, the Indiana Chamber rate us one of the, like the second or third best city to live in in the entire state. So people are starting to recognize the value that we're bringing to our, our, our citizens every single day. Well, conversely, uh, are there any uh, disappointments, uh, any things you wanted to accomplish that you have not been able uh, to accomplish? Yeah, that's that's a that's a great question. You know, the, the uh, do I have any real disappointments that have happened during this this time as as a city councilor? Um, you know, there, there's a there's a couple of things out there that you know some some issues with some infrastructure. I wish we were able to address those more effectively and more efficiently. Although with the dollars that we get, we do the best we can with what we have. Um, I would say overall, if there if there is a disappointment in me, the one thing, and it's not so much out of, in my control, but somewhat out of my control, is and we bring it up all the time, and I'm sure people are tired of hearing about it, but it's true. The county option income tax formula and how it's being computed, and how certain communities get benefit from it for bad behavior. Um, that is my. If I have one thing, I would really like to to change and be a part of, and I've tried to be a part of. I've been down. I've talked to. Our, you know, our state rep. I've talked to state senators that, that this needs to be fixed, and it's just unfortunate when you when you go up 
the food chain to the state house, it becomes a little more difficult to do. And a lot of times, a lot of these issues end to be addressed at the local level, and we can't address it at the local level. So that's I would say if there's one thing that frustrates me is that, because that would mean an extra $20 million a year to us. And the mayor has mentioned that that probably would fund one public safety department a part of another. Well, it's, a, it's a third. It would be a third. Our budget $60 million in gross revenue mm-hmm. right now. So that's a third of our budget that mm-hmm. we'd have that we could use for a number of things. So uh, that's the one thing I'm, I'm, dis- I'm a little d- disappointed at. And that's, uh, to, to put it a little more specifically, as I recall this, and you correct me if I'm wrong, this is a very geeky thing because it's a very complex formula the state has has put together, and every county uses it, but it it impacts counties different ways. Mm-hmm. And I think when you said it, it rewards bad behavior, I think what you're referring to is our, our neighbor, Carmel, which has a much higher level of debt than we, and I think what I have heard, and you tell me if I'm wrong, is that high level of debt actually helps them in, in getting more money under this COET formula. Yeah, and it's just it is, the, the formula is what it was, it, it is, is now, and that is there is the more debt that they have, more debt that a municipality has, the more ability that they can claw in and grab on to uh, this county option income tax that's effectively Fisher's county option income tax. And as I remember this, and you don't have to comment if you don't want to, but I was following this very closely. I was staying in contact with the mayor and with our local state representative, but most, I should I put it, most laws and budgets in the Indiana legislature are completed in something called a conference committee, mm-hmm. which is when the House passes one bill, the Senate passes another. It's all done privately, in secret. The negotiations go on there, and I believe there was high confidence that there would be a not an instant change, but a slow move in the other direction on that option income tax you mentioned. And at the last minute, it all changed. And that is, as you mentioned, part of how laws get enacted and budgets are fashioned at the state house. Yeah, it was it was very disappointing. But uh, hopefully, we will come back after it again and and do our best to. Hopefully, we certainly want to pull the rug out from any community, but we want to hopefully start gradually, incrementally getting things back aligned properly. Well, since I am a nosy reporter, I have to ask about the news of the day. So I'm going to ask about that because just days before recording this, uh, Council President Rich Block did issue a statement uh, that an outside law firm has now cleared City Clerk Jennifer Kale of any law violations. There was an investigation announced in May into allegations that Ms. Kale violated provisions of the Civil Rights Act of 1964. However, in that same statement, it was uh, said by uh, Council President Block that her duties in city government have been greatly narrowed due to what the statement referred to as management issues. So here's my question to you about that. The statement provides no more detail than that. And as a longtime council member, I need to ask you this. Why has the council not released at least a redacted version of this report? I understand it's confidentiality, but redactions can happen. Since this report was funded by taxpayer money to an outside law firm, why the hesitancy to give more detail to the public? Well, certainly there's some confidentiality issues with uh, these allegations with those employees that were involved that – that should be stay should stay private, um, and that's the whole reason for that. And certainly, you know, where I'm at with this is, uh, in my, I saw Rich's statement, and I certainly wholeheartedly agree with his statement, and and just want to leave it at that. So you you have no views on whether or not 
more details because you are narrowing an elected fi- official's duties in city government to basically what the law requires. It had been more than that. And that is so even though that is a, a big public policy decision, you feel it is you don't feel any need to provide more detail to the public on this. Well, the detail I'll provide from from my standpoint as budget finance chair is that this is a way to have cost savings for the for the community. We're able to get the same uh, and same, if not better, services by uh, our team to our citizens by doing this rather than continuing down that path with how the clerk's office was structured before. Well, since I don't think I'll get anything more than that on that subject, I want to move on to something you've already mentioned. You are now in your second stint as the Council Finance Committee Chairman. Uh-huh. Uh, and obviously, your background is well suited for that. The council is now poised to approve the 2020 city budget. So I was in some of those meetings when you discussed with the mayor, his staff, and other uh, members of the finance committee uh, the challenges of that budget. So what challenges do you think the city uh, faces in fashioning a budget uh, for next year? It appeared that there were no huge deficits and there weren't any huge challenges, but there are some some issues that could uh, could come back in the future. So talk about that. Well, yeah, the, you know, our biggest cost is personnel. It's pure and simple. It's people, and and certainly our our uh, our team is aging now. As uh, you know, the, it's you know folks that are getting older and have more more healthcare issues, and uh, certainly some things that I keep an eye on. Are you know we do offer? I mean, most of our folks are not making. They're they're in the municipal world, so they're not making. You know they're making nice salaries. Don't get me wrong, but they're also they also there's some folks that could could make a whole lot of money doing going into the private sector if they so chose, and so we do offer a fairly robust uh, benefits for, package for them. And the one area I tend to really focus in on, I, I you know I look at it all the time is just you know our health insurance costs. They're 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 very it's very expensive to provide health care to, and I, I have it here in my firm. You know we health care is very expensive, but it's it's something you know I think of a. You know, a, a, a young man or a young woman that works full time in public works, driving a pickup truck and weed whacking and pl- moving snow, you know, health coverage is is very important to them, and we want to keep it for those people to make sure that they're they're well taken care of. But those costs are becoming uh, it's, it's becoming very expensive for us. Um, other things that that you know the, that issue is, is certainly something I look at all the time. Um, our road issue, you know, how do we handle some of our our, our road resurfacing because we have up an aging uh, road inventory now. We went through a period up to two thousand eight, then we had the recession, but all that all that residential development, but prior to that team time, all that is is maturing and becoming. We're gonna have to start going and really start fixing these roads. Um, so, so that those are two areas I really focus in on a lot from from a standpoint of you know looking at real gut level issues that we need to deal with. No, I think you're right. I think most employers, whether they public or private, uh, they're struggling with what to do on health insurance. Uh, so, it's going to be my next question. So, since this is a major challenge for the city, what options uh, are available? I know one thing the city uh, and the, I think this may have even come back to the town days. You can tell me this. There's a health center, which has saved a great deal of money. Uh, You've changed vendors. You've used a couple of different vendors on that where employees can go in and get simple health issues taken care of, some prescriptions. So that, I know, has saved some money in the health care area for the city. But 
you've tried to be creative in that sense, but what other options are available? Are you looking at anything else that may continue to give the employees the service they need and save any money for the city? Well, we're certainly focusing on them using uh, using the health center that we've set up, and it is helping us tremendously from a wellness perspective and catching things. It's it's a great benefit for for all our our employees. You know, above and beyond that, we're constantly looking for ways to to drive down our costs and do everything we can. I mean, we certainly don't sit on our laurels, and nobody that employs any of I mean, we do the same thing. We're always looking for ways to, and here at PSW, to uh, to save us any dollars that we can from a health insurance perspective. Um, actually, we've we've been able to do some. My health insurance is going to go up two percent next year. Hmm. Which you know, again, we work hard at it. We've we've done some things that have really helped our employees, provided a, a, a mechanism that works very well. Um, all that mechanism wouldn't work for a, for a municipality, unfortunately. It's mm-hmm. it's a PEO, so uh, a, a employee leasing company, if you will. So you know, they're 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 always looking. To, you know, Scott Steppy, Mayor Elliott, he does a fantastic job. He's been a great value add for the city, and we're always looking for ways to improve that. But I think that. You know, our, our health facility, that, that center has been a, a great addition for us. But again, health costs are going to go up because our population, our population of our employees, they're aging and things are happening. You mentioned the development and there were, uh, one of the major developments under construction right now, the yard, I guess they call it the stations, the mm-hmm. Fishers District, that whole area there that's under construction at the moment. And, and uh, one of the criticisms that has been lodged against the council is that you're a rubber stamp that you always agree on everything, and there be you know there may be some validity in that, but I must tell you, is when there was a design vote that was set up just a few months ago, there were three no votes mm-hmm. on that design for that particular area that Thompson Thrift is is developing. Um, and uh, there were three your colleagues voted against it. I believe you voted for it. Mm-hmm. Explain the issue there and why there was disagreement on the council and why you voted in favor. Yeah, I think there was some issue with respect to the, um, some of the council members. You have to ask them in particular what they disagreed about. Well, why did about. you vote yes on it? I know, I'll tell you why I voted yes. You know, Here we have the yard that's going to have you know a, a vast number of restaurants. And, and okay, I'm, I'm going to step back and say restaurants are one of the toughest businesses to be in. I mean – I can tell you right now I, how many restaurants we've had as clients that, you know, they may have a great concept, they may have a great plan, but they typically, you know, unfortunately, sometimes they they run into difficulty. You're gonna, these restaurants are they, it's a very difficult business model. You got to have people, you got to have inventory, you've got to have a place. I mean, it's a very very orchestrated type operation to be a successful restaurateur. Um, what I felt, the reason I voted for this is I wanted to ensure the success of this project. And how do you ensure success of the project? You add, you know, you give these restaurants opportunities to succeed. You add uh, an off, an, some, some office building. You add some townhomes. You have a hotel on the back where there's constantly feed of, of potential customers to make sure these restaurants succeed. So, so yes, that, you know. It, 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 it may seem like we've changed the concept somewhat. We really haven't. I've just, what I've changed is the ability to succeed in that particular project. You have more people there, it's going to have a much higher probability of succeeding. If you don't, I think you run the risk of some of these restaurants. And there's going to be restaurants that aren't going to make it. Let's just be, let's just be, throw it all out there and say, there may be a restaurant too that's just not going to make it. But I want to give them every chance to succeed. And this is why, why I voted yes. 
Yeah, I think there's a, a great example is downtown Indianapolis. It was Ballyhood, especially places like Mass Ave, Massachusetts Avenue, Mass Ave, and some other parts of downtown Indianapolis. They've tried to build a restaurant culture. Yet, you know, just the other day, the three restaurants closed. Mm-hmm. Now, that's not unusual because there'll be new restaurants that will come in with different concepts. Some of these restaurateurs may go to another part of town, try that concept or somewhere different, something different at a new location. I had a chance to uh, look at uh, the area of the yard with Jolene Ketzenberger that's going to be the experimental kitchen where... Uh, I guess that's not the right word for it, but it's a test kitchen. Mm-hmm. And you'll have three chefs working there in and out. They'll spend, what, about a year or so there and then move on. And uh, they will be bringing in, they, when, uh, when I mean they, I'm talking about the proprietors of the yard and the city, will be involved in trying to bring people in to that space, bringing different concepts in to be tested. Some may not last a year, some may last a little longer or may go somewhere else. But that's where the experimentation. You know, John Wexler, he he thinks that's an entrepreneurial way of handling. He's been very heavily into that. So, do you think that the yard and I want, as as a concept has changed? Uh, it was first uh, presented to the council and and to others, the public, as a restaurant center. Mm-hmm. Then there were changes that became a residential area. Then we have the hotel that we've added. So we, the developer, has added some more development between there and where that Kroger store is located, that strip mall there. That's all going to be sort of tied together now. So what you are calling a positive, some people have called it a negative, saying you sold us one thing and gave us another. Explain why you think that needs to happen. Yeah, I disagree. I don't think we've sold one thing and delivered something else. We're actually delivering something that is – exactly what we said we were going to do. However, we've added on to it to ensure its success. The other thing we look at is a way to connect that strip center there where Kroger's at with this with the yard as well, which again, I think it just creates more of a connection, more vibrancy, and also more ability for everybody's boat to rise on that side of 116th Street. You don't want everyone going to the yard and not continually going. You want to have the ability for people to go and interact between not only that strip center where the Kroger's look at, but over there too. So I don't look at this as we've done a bait and switch one one bit. You know, we've just we've just gone we've gone it one step further to make it better. Interestingly enough, the folks that develop it, they were talking about this this development at, and they went to, to Las Vegas with another a number of developers and it won an award for its mm-hmm. ability to have you know, a, a vision of, of what this what this culinary experience is going to be with the accelerator, with the restaurants around it. And we've got some unbelievable restaurants going in. And, they all, and the biggest reason they're there is they know they're going to have people that are going to be at that restaurant. They're going to be people that live there, visit there, um, that they're going to enjoy that experience. And to me, that's just enhanced the ability for them to succeed. Would the yard be there without uh, Top Golf and IKEA? Yes. You think so? I do. I Why do. do you say that? Um, I just think it's that positive of a development. I think it, it would, if, if that came first, other things would come around it. We just happen to have Top Golf and IKEA there already. I 69 does sort of separate two parts there of, of Fishers in mm-hmm. that downtown general area. You've got the area that's being developed now, you've just described. But then there's still the downtown area. There's a restaurant culture of sorts there as well. Mm-hmm. Do you think they will develop? different identities or will you find ways to try to connect them in the future yeah i would like to have a way to connect them uh quite frankly to have it be kind of all one you know that's the one 
if there's a disadvantage to fishers is you've got that interstate in, but that, that just kind of cuts us down the middle, if you will. Um, I would love to see some type of, you know, maybe small bus transit that goes east-west across 116th Street. People can go, you know, people that, that live at the yard may want to grab a bus and go over to the yard and vice versa. You know, there's things that I would I would be in favor of taking a look at something like that. Um, so I would think they need to have, to me, from my standpoint, I, I think it look as fishers being fishers. We have the nickel plate district, obviously, there's a unique identifier there at the yard. But I think they need to come together and, and work together as one common uh, benefit for the city. And you mentioned transportation and with the nickel plate trail that more or less says for the foreseeable future there'll be no bus transit or any kind of what was then called the green line that's going to be a trail now Mm -hmm. do you see any other opportunities particularly with downtown indianapolis where a large number of i was used to be one of them Mm -hmm. a large number of fishers residents commute uh, to work in downtown indianapolis for an exam as an example do you think that that's gone now, that possibility of any kind of mass transit or any kind of transportation mode that would connect fishers with downtown Indy? I don't think so. There's certainly, we just got to keep our options open. As you're well aware, you know, as few as maybe seven or eight years ago, we had a bus uh, service that picked up over here at 106th and uh, Lantern every day and drove folks downtown. And uh, they had, you know, two or three buses a day that drove folks downtown to, and they brought them back back up here to Fisher's every day. And it did well for a while, and then all at once the, the ridership just fell off. So, uh, yeah, I was a little discouraged at that. There wasn't higher ridership with respect to that. And, you know, that's sort of tied to the, as, as crass as it may sound, to the price of gasoline. Yes. It was very high when it, that program started, which was private sector and it needed to pay for itself. The previous bus system was put in there subsidized because of a major uh, interstate uh, construction program mm-hmm. and then when that ended there was an effort to keep it going private sector pay for itself at first it did but you know again you know uh, market forces come in and when the gasoline prices went down you're right ridership went down on, on that so you do you see any other opportunities the, to tie in downtown Indy with Fishers? You know, certainly down the road. I mean, even though that's been converted trail, you could always, it's rail bank, so it could go back if, 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 if there's a will of the people to do that. Um, but when we went through that process of converting to trail, we had, you know, 1,500 submissions and 25 of those totally opposed, and the rest were in favor of having a trail for the nickel plate trail. Um, I think the other thing you're seeing a lot more now, and, and you know, we're trying to address, you know, opportunities here in Fishers is, you know, you look at the State Road 37 project and that ability hopefully start moving traffic much better. But the real bottlenecks in Marion County, as I, as I see it, you know, that's if, if they could have some type of fix to that interchange at 465 and I-69, which is... Well, that is in the works. Yeah. Well, there's a plan for it, but it's going to take a few It's going to take a while. And yeah. boy, the sooner the better. Yeah, but um, yeah, I think once they, they have that fix in place, um, it certainly will help those that decide that, that live up here and want to commute down to Indianapolis every single day. Another area that the council has jurisdiction over would be ordinances. And you've delved into some ordinances into residential neighborhood speed limits for example um, you know uh, fines for certain offenses and so forth do you see in the next four years in any areas of city ordinances that the council needs to take a look at you know i don't see anything in particular on the horizon that we're going to have to really take a hard hard look at 
you know, that, that was a great example where, you know, we had different speed limits in every neighborhood where, you know, some like the speed limit was 19 miles an hour. Well, how do you, how do you enforce that? You know, police officer has to go in and figure out what's the speed limit in Windermere versus Idlewood. And, and, and so it just kind of made some sense. Um, you know, we always try and look at things from an awareness perspective, do something that's, that hopefully makes some sense, that, that, that works well, that also keeps this uh, a very, you know, great place to live and work and play and and we constantly be looking at that but am i going to be creating a bunch of orange trying to clamp things down or anything like that no that's not my that's not my style but there's no area you really think needs to be addressed at this point okay well 30 minutes goes fast so let me ask you my usual ending question talking to one of your uh, constituents potential voters in your south central district and they say, well, Mr. Weingart, I've looked at you. I've looked at your opponent. Why should I vote for you? Give me about a two-minute summation of why someone should vote for John Weingart. Well, certainly, Larry, in my district, I tend to be – there's three things I have. It's certainly, I, I'm, a, I'm a voice for my, for my constituents. Um, I take action. Um, I've gotten a stoplight put in 126 on Hoosier Road. I tackled Metronet. Um, with Senator Merritt on a number of occasions and shut them down. Um, so I, I take action on things I do. I, uh, I also build relationships. If you, if, so, if a resident emails me with an issue, I think one of the first thing that really surprises them is is typically either I email them back or I call them, and they're like, well, I'm surprised you call me back. I said, well, I work for you. Why shouldn't I call you back? And a lot of times what happens is, and again, I'm, I'm, part, I'm very relationship-driven, is I'll sit down with an individual and we'll talk about it. We'll have a cup of coffee or, or a Diet Coke or something and talk about the issue. And we may not walk away agreeing, but at least we'll walk away understanding where I'm coming from and understand where they're coming from. And there's been a lot of great ideas that have come from those conversations. Um, so, so, you know, the, the three things, you know, a voice and trying to represent my district really hard and strong, take action. And also build relationships. I mean, I can give you another example. I had a guy came to the councilman complaining about the lift station at 106 and and mm-hmm. Cumberland, mm-hmm. and uh, that, that's another example where I actually I, I he's not even in my district. He's actually in, in David George's district. But I sat down with him, went to his house, met with him and his wife. We talked about it. We talked about things we can do to to uh, go after HSC utilities, and that's how I work. I mean. Um, I, I, I love doing door to door. We're we're we've we've knocked on a number of doors already. It's been very positive, and people appreciate the time and attention that I've been able to give to them and and shaking their hand and giving them a card and say call me anytime you need anything. And uh, they're not bashful about it. most of them. That really aren't bashful. So that that's me. Um, a voice, action, and relationships. It's interesting. I uh, was at the work session where you as council members met with MetroNet. And I said, you all need to go to the Middle East. I don't know. I can't believe the city of Fishers has made peace, at least for now, with Metronet, because you had your you had your differences with them for a while. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, when, when you land an airplane, when I was coming back on a trip and literally my phone was was buzzing about them and they hit a gas line. Well, they change. They didn't follow the the what we said was the the proper way to do the the digging and the utility and and now they're doing it so we're watching them but we're trying to make that uniform for any utility that comes mm-hmm. into our communities mm-hmm. to make it where we're fair with everybody but also holding them accountable. John Weingard is a candidate for re-election in the South Central District and the Fishers City Council. John, thank you for joining. You're welcome. Always good to see you, Larry. This podcast has been brought to you by LarryInFishers.com. My local news blog follows news in and around the Fishers area, so check it out. Once again, find it 
at LarryInFishers.com. And you can also follow me on Twitter at LarryInFishers. My name is Larry Lannon. Thanks for listening. We'll talk again.